Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing good? I said, how are you guys doing good? Let's put a hand together for Jesus this morning. It's awesome. We're so excited to have you. And, and again, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor at TC. And we, and we are super pumped to be in our fourth part of our Thought, Attack, a Thought Attacks series. And, and as we get ready today, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say you look good. Tell them you look thinner than you did yesterday. There you go. Some laughter in the building. Soak it in, guys. Soak it in. Just soak it in. It feels good. We're in our, the fourth part of our Thought Attack series, and, uh, and, and I want to let you know, today we want to talk about something that I consider it to be, it's something I was excited to bring to you, but at the same time I knew that if we don't approach this correctly, it can feel kind of dark, and, and we certainly don't want to do that, because I'm, I believe that Jesus always brings life, all right? And so, uh, which is even why I love the song that they did this morning, uh, You Are Life, which I just think is so appropriate, so Jesus comes to give us life and life more abundantly. And so uh, we want to get into what we've got for today because today we're going to talk about fighting wounded. And I believe that when we battle with the thought attacks, those attacks that enter our mind, and how many guys know the attacks come against our mind, right? Like we battle the thought attacks. Sometimes we have to battle the attacks in our mind. And sometimes we're, in fact, we're fighting wounded. And today what I want to talk to you guys about is the reality of depression. Depression, all right? So turn to your neighbor and say depression. All right, but don't do it in a depressing way, okay? So just, you know, like, hey, depression. Anyway, so let's go. Romans 8 is, uh, is our theme verse for the month. Let's jump straight into what we have for today. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then lastly, it says, for to set the mind on the flesh, to set the mind on fleshly things, worldly things, things that we desire, thing, things that are all about us is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And they're not talking about a literal death here. He's not talking about to set your mind on the things of, uh, the, things of the flesh. It means you would experience a literal death. It means that you'll be consumed by the feeling of death. How many guys have been walking and living but felt like you were consumed and you couldn't breathe? You felt like things in life were just always going crazy. When we set our mind on the things of the flesh, life feels like we're in death. But when we set it on the things of the spirit, who's the spirit? When we set it on the things of God, then it is life and peace. How many guys are ready for some more life and some peace? Come on, somebody. Like, so so the, what I wanted to do is start this off because the church as a whole, so not, not our church, but the church, the worldwide church, has done a terrible job addressing depression, especially on behalf of Christians. And I believe there are many Christians who experience seasons of depression and they don't get the help that they need because they don't feel like they can. Right? In other words, I think some of the lies that we believe about depression, we get pinpointed to this idea that it shouldn't affect Christians, but it actually does. And listen to me, guys. These are lies that we believe. As Christians, these are lies that we believe. And so we want to show them to you real quick because I want to point them out as lies so that if you ever believe them again, you'll know not to buy into this. All right. So the first one is uh, that depression is a lack of spirituality, not a sickness. And that's a lie. Depression is not a lack of spirituality. Depression is, in fact, a sickness that someone may deal with. Now, you may be someone that goes through just random seasons of depression, but then there are some that deal with depression as the constant in their life. 
right? Paul said that I wake up and I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do and I'm not doing the things that I want to do. And he said, I deal with this thorn in my flesh, this thing that is a constant struggle for him. And for some of us, we think that because we deal with it in our life consistently, therefore God may not love us or we're we're not actually good Christians or whatever that may be the case. Those are lies that the enemy would want to put in your mind to make you think about yourself. The second one is that real Christians aren't depressed. And and so so much in the church, because the church hasn't had enough healthy conversations about depression, their solutions for depression are, well, just pray more. Well, you just need to read your Bible. Well, you just need to name it and claim it, and it'll go away. It's like, okay, I did that six times. Now what? I, I, you know, when people, I, sometimes Christians have the dumbest recommendations for stuff because they over-spiritualize things that are actually very complex. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like depression. Anyway, so number three, it's a lie to say that it's not okay to fight depression. I'm here to tell you, not only is it okay to fight your depression, it's okay to keep fighting your depression. As a matter of fact, it's okay to fight it and keep fighting and never stop fighting, never give up, never give in. I'm here as a pastor to tell you that maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in this room. If you've been battling with depression, keep fighting it and keep fighting it. And you may never defeat it on this earth. It may be something that comes back all the time constantly for you. You'll defeat it in eternity, but just keep fighting. All right? But the lie is that it's not okay to fight it. It's okay and keep fighting. Number four, people with depression are a problem to be fixed. And I'm here to tell you today, if you battle with this inwardly, if this is something you go through, if depression, if the dark cloud hovers over you, you're not a problem to be fixed. You're a person to be led. But in the church, we look at depression as a problem that we need to fix. Can I tell you something? The church was never called to fix people's problems. The church was always called to point people to the one that's bigger than their problems. All right? So understand the truth about your depression. Number five, God, the lie is God is distant during your depression. He's not close. And that couldn't be further from the truth. God is always nearby. He's always close by. As a matter of fact, I put out a tweet yesterday as we were getting ready for this. I put out a tweet yesterday that says that your depression does not dictate God's proximity. As a matter of fact, he's very close to you and he's holding you now. And if you're watching this and you're dealing with it, or if you're in this room and you're dealing with depression, I'm going to tell you that you don't have to run away from God in shame because of depression. Run towards God in excitement and joy, knowing that he can battle your depression for you. All right. So, and then number six, I want to let you know that the, the next slide, number six, God is not bigger than my depression. And like I just told you, not only is he bigger he can defeat it. You may always walk through it. You may be in a continual process of walking. You may walk through seasons of it, but you walking through it doesn't mean God hasn't already beat it. It just means you may have to walk through it. So I'm here to tell you today, regardless of what you may go through, God's bigger than depression. And today we want to talk to you about a spiritual battle plan on how we can help make that happen. All right. I do believe one of the biggest ways that we can help move through depression is with laughter. Come on, somebody. How many, how many of y'all like to laugh? Where am I laughing people at? You just like to have a good time. Yeah, there we go. See, all the people that don't like to laugh are like, they're cheering again. I wish they would just stop. <laughs> See, you feel better right now than you did 10 seconds ago. So, y'all, you know, we've been on this weight, weight loss journey for myself. 
And uh, I set out at the beginning of the year, I was like, I'm going to lose 50 pounds this year. And I am excited to announce, are y'all ready for this? I'm excited to announce that today I only got 65 more to go. Come on, somebody. So anyway, (laughs) that pizza is good. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like. No, but in all honesty, we want to give you some steps. We want to give you some help today. And please hear what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you may do all of these steps and it still may come back around in your life. So I don't want to, I don't want to lie to you to tell you that depression will leave your life forever. For some of you, it may, but for some of you, it may not. But what I'm here to tell you is that we have a spiritual battle plan. And so we want to give you some spiritual steps, but then we also want to give you some tangible steps on how to help overcome depression. And so in our spiritual battle plan, let's get into that. Number one on your notes, you can take those out. Is the first thing we need to do is reframe how we view our depression. We need to reframe how we view our depression. In other words, we need to change our vantage point. And what's unique about changing your vantage point is this, uh, that when you change your vantage point on your situation, it means that your situation doesn't change, just how you look at it changes. In other words, how, when, when whatever is going on in your life, whatever, the cloud may be settling in or the, whatever may be happening to you. And here's also what I want to mention. For some of you in here, you may be like, well, I wasted today because I don't battle depression, so I can just leave early. Listen, if you don't battle depression, I promise you, you know someone who does. So if this doesn't hit home for you, then learn it so that you can help somebody else. All right. So we need to reframe. We need to change the vantage point of how we're seeing our circumstances. Oftentimes, not all the time, oftentimes our depression is circumstantial. What we're going through is driving us to a dark place. And so when that's the case, we have to change our vantage point. We need to start seeing things the way God sees things. But more importantly, we have to stop trying to see ourselves as the hero in our depression. In other words, you by yourself will never get yourself out of depression. You will always need God to help pull you out of your season of depression. So you got to change your vantage point. You're not the hero. God is the hero. Matt Chandler puts it like this in this quote. He says this, you're exhausted in the faith because you're looking at you. How many of you have ever tried to be good enough, awesome enough, holy enough, righteous enough, sinless enough? How many of you guys ever tried to hit the check boxes enough so that you could feel worthy enough to not have to battle with things you're battling? Matt Chandler puts it like this. You're exhausted in the faith because you're looking at you. The more you look at yourself and the less you look at God, the more you get frustrated at yourself. In other words, we grow frustrated when all we do is look at us. The one that can help with what we're going through is the one we have to keep our attention on. All right. Number two, we need to rephrase how we talk about what we're going through. I want to pause for a second. I want to go back to the reframe because I wanted to mention this to you. So in reframing what we're going through, right? How many guys, first of all, how many guys, where are my sports people at? Y'all like to watch sports, basketball, football, where y'all, where y'all, okay, six of us, awesome. What do the, what do the rest of y'all do? <laughs> Sit on Instagram all day? Like what you, no, so with, uh, with sports, how many guys, well, and where the, we're the weird, weird people that like to watch baseball on TV, where y'all at? Any y'all in here? Weird people, man. Listen, 
What is exciting? It's not, baseball on TV is not exciting. I get going to a game on TV, not a chance, not doing it. I think they could make baseball better. And I know this is crazy because we're in America and we're threatening baseball and apple pie and all those things. But listen, make baseball better, turn it into a one pitch game. One pitch, either you hit it or you're out. Boom, out, boom, out. We could do this in 30 minutes and be back home. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like this. But I love watching sports. And, and have you guys ever watched the interviews after like the Super Bowl or a game seven or something like that? Don't the interviewers have the dumbest questions you've ever heard in your life? They're like, it was the last second shot. You were down by one with three seconds left. You shot it. Were you hoping it was going to go in? And they're like, like, nah, you know, 20 mil a year. I don't really care. It goes in, doesn't go in. It is what it is. Like, of course they wanted it to go in, right? Like, right. But did, one of the things you'll notice is a lot of times they'll interview people and they'll, they'll, they'll ask this question. Were you nervous going into a big game, Super Bowl, World Series? Were you nervous? And most of them have the same answer. They say, no, I was excited. And, but when you pay attention to it, what, what are the, what are the, uh, like kind of the repercussions or what, are the, what happens when you get nervous, right? You start sweating a little bit. Your heart starts beating real fast. Your hands get clammy, right? You, get, you start getting butterflies in your stomach. What happens when you get excited? You start sweating a little bit. Your hands get clammy. You get butterflies in your stomach. Your heart starts beating. Listen, all these athletes have done is retrain their mind to view their symptoms differently. If believers would retrain our mind to read our symptoms differently, it would change how we look at what we're going through. So if we would start looking at what we're going through as an opportunity for God to do a miracle, rather than convincing ourselves that it's only going to happen again, we would change the way we frame our depression or our anxiety or whatever else it is in our life. If I look at what I'm going through as an opportunity for God to change something, it's considerably different than declaring and viewing my depression as the thing I'll always struggle with. Now, again, this isn't finite, but it's helpful, right? Next is rephrase. We need to recognize the familiar feeling. Those of you that struggle with this, it doesn't creep up on you very often. You feel it coming. Right, And for those of you that have loved ones that deal with depression, you notice the same thing. You don't, they don't just pop up one day and they're off like, you know, like, ah, oh, life is terrible. Like, it's usually a process that they move into that frame of mind. And so we need to recognize the familiar feeling and start speaking differently over what we're experiencing. Another one that I, the, another thing that hit Twitter yesterday was we said we need to, we can and must declare the reality of what God says, even though we haven't experienced the actuality of it yet. In other words, if God already said it's true, we can start to speak and believe in our heart the reality of it, even if we haven't seen the actuality of it. It hasn't happened yet. And so we need to start rephrasing and recognizing familiar things are coming. When that dark cloud starts to settle in, we got to start to speak to it differently than how we've been speaking to it in the past. Because for many of us, we declare over our own life, I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable. God doesn't love me. People don't love me. I'm all alone. Listen, if, if you were just at a small group the day before with 16 people, stop saying you're alone the next day. Like, but the reality is, the person believes it. So we got to start speaking differently about what we're going through rather than just experiencing it. 
So when we recognize the familiar feeling that's coming, we got to start rephrasing our words about how we're going to deal with it. Ephesians 6.12 says this, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. In other words, your battle isn't physical. And I would dare say in many cases, not all, because I'm not ignorant to believe that depression oftentimes is a medical chemical imbalance. So there are many of those lanes. For many believers that experience short seasons of depression, a lot of times, in most cases, it is spiritual in our lives. So we have to recognize you're not going to defeat a spiritual enemy by earthly means. So there's two plans that come with that. Number one in your notes, the first thing, there's the, the enemy's plan. There's the enemy's plan. And what is the enemy's plan? The enemy's plan is to slow you down, to stop your purpose. When God created you, the Bible said he, he destined good things for you long before you were ever known. Which means before you were formed in your mother's womb, he destined you for greatness and good things. To fulfill a purpose that only he could have you fulfill. So the enemy's plan is to stop that purpose. It's to slow you down. It's to actually make you believe the lie that you're not good enough. It's to make you believe the lie that God doesn't love you or that people don't love you or that you're all by yourself. That's the, that's the enemy's plan. And at the end of the day, the enemy's ultimate goal is that in your depression, make you feel so much shame about yourself that you retract from the Lord. You're saying, man, there's no way God can be happy with me or proud of me because of this. I remember when we were younger, um, my, my sister used to collect porcelain dolls. Y'all know what those are? Those aren't the creepiest things in the world. Anyway, so, so my sister used to collect these porcelain dolls. And I remember one time I was playing, I was like five years old, and I broke one of them that was part of a set. <sighs> yeah, I was five. I didn't know that meant anything, but you guys know apparently. So I broke one that was part of a set, and I was terrified, terrified. So I remember what I did is I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go home, or I'm going to go to bed. And if I'm asleep, my dad can't spank me. That was my thought process in my head, right? Like, I'm going to just go to sleep. And if I stay asleep, I don't know if I thought I was going to sleep, like, forever. I don't know what I was thinking. But I was just so scared. But, and then come to find out, my grandma had the same one. So she swapped them out without telling my dad. I think eventually, I'm sure she told him at some point. So thank you, Mamma Bethley, Kentucky. You're awesome. But anyway, so she saved my life. Anyway, so, but all that to say is oftentimes, what we do with our shame because of our depression is the same thing I did because of my fear breaking that doll. We go, oh, there's no way God's going to be happy with this. I'm going to go over here somewhere. I'm going to go do this thing instead of drawing close to the Lord. I'm gonna go. The enemy's plan is to take what you're going through and cause enough shame that it drives you away from God instead of driving you close to him. Right? Stephen Altrog says this, depression turns our brain into a swirling mass of half-truths and distorted perceptions. Which means we just start believing all these lies and we start telling ourselves all these lies. God doesn't love me. People don't love me. I'm all alone. And that's not true. None of those things are true. It's just what we've taught ourselves to believe. But then there's God's plan. So there's the enemy's plan, but then there's God's plan. And in God's plan, his desire, his plan is to draw you close in those seasons. He hopes that your depression drives you to a place where you want to be closer to God, not further away from God. It reminds me of my wife, not depression, but 
<laughs> it reminds me of my wife. First of all, my wife is, is a fox. Anyway, so, but, so with, with my wife, there's two different approaches that you have to spending time with, with your spouse, right? And so there's the, there's the grand gesture way, right? So ladies, how many of y'all would appreciate it if this happened? You come home from work or wherever you're at, and he's laid out a dress for you with some shoes, some rose petals are on the bed, Hershey's Kiss, and a note it says, I'll be back at 6 o'clock to pick you up. I'm taking you to a fancy restaurant and a movie. First of all, fellas, take notes, okay? So you see how she's smiling now sitting next to you? You need that, okay? So anyway, so, so there's that approach. But then there's the other approach that, if I'm being honest, happens far more often, which is a text message says, hey, love, I, I call my wife love all the time. So, hey, love, uh, just letting you know, don't worry about dinner. I got it taken care of. And I go by Redbox and pick up whatever movie she wants to watch that I could care less about, but she wants to watch. And then I go by and I pick up sushi from our favorite restaurant and I bring it home. And we're both sitting in sweatpants with tank tops on watching some movie on the couch. Now, both of those scenarios have the same end goal. <laughs> Which is only that we would draw close to one another. I don't know what y'all are talking about, but <laughs> Wait, so you see how it moved through the congregation like a wave? No, but in all honesty, both, both of those have an end goal that we would be close to one another. We would draw close to one another, right? One of them is a grand gesture, while one of those is actually the thing that happens far more often. Stay with me. What we've done in our Christian journey is we've equated grand gestures to spiritual experience, but we've lost track of what intimate, often moments feel like. Because those happen way more often, but they're also quieter. The lights aren't as bright. There's sometimes, you know, when we, when we go through spiritual seasons in life, what we think is every time God shows up in our life, we should be crying and we should be just giving God our everything and we should, ah, like, and it should be a big moment and there should be a band and someone playing background music and someone's going to pray for me. And every spiritual aspect of our life should feel like that. In reality, the people that are the healthiest don't lean on grand gestures in their spiritual journey. They look for small, quiet moments. The problem with small, quiet moments is that they're small and they're quiet. And many of us don't know what to do when things get quiet. Because we feel like it's quiet. God must have left me alone. It's like, no, 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 no. He just wants you to learn something in the quiet time that he's the only source that you lean on. Don't look for yourself to be the one that can carry you. Don't look for you to be the source of your strength and your happiness and your joy. What, you, what is in your life, your spouse, your kids, your job, your income, your car, your house, your boat, your whatever, can't be the source of your, of your joy, of your strength. What has to be the source is that even in small, quiet moments, the fact that God is with you means that you have everything that you need. God's plan, oftentimes with your depression or your anxiety, is that you would draw close to him in that time rather than running away. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Then he says, cleanse your hands, 
those of you that are sinners, purify your hearts, those of you that are double-minded. In other words, what many of us try to do is we try to draw close to God, but we haven't cleansed our hands yet, and we're still dealing with the sin in our life that we know exists, but we don't want to get rid of. But then we want to know why we can't draw close. Or we want to believe that we're, we want to be, we want to act like we're believers on the weekends, but our Monday through Friday Christianity is at an all-time low. And we're double-minded. And so we want the benefits of God, but we don't actually want God. And we want to wonder why we're going through depression. You can do whatever you want with that. Okay, so, so we need to reframe, then we need to rephrase. Then number three, we need to remain. We need to remain. And in remaining, we prioritize consistency over intensity. Prioritize consistency over intensity. So where am I, where am I three times a year dentist people at? Any of y'all in here go to the dentist three times a year? Y'all just, you just love the dentist. Listen, it ain't that fun. Quit lying, okay? We all know. Now, where am I? I don't even know when the last time I went was people at. Where y'all at? Okay, that's what I thought. All right, so I'm in, I'm in the second group. I'm going to just be honest with you. You know, I brush my teeth and all that stuff. But here's the deal. How many of you don't ever brush your teeth, but then the seven days before you go to the dentist, you're like, I got to get it all in now. What's like... See, we, like, how many, that don't make any sense, right? Like, that, that just doesn't work. Better yet, those of you that are healthy people, how many of you know, but, like, man, before I get on the scale, I just need to eat nothing but salads for three days before I get on the scale. I've been told, apparently, that don't work either, okay? So, how many of you know that you don't get, you don't, you don't get good conditioning by only working out on Mondays? <laughs> I know that to be a fact, all right? I'm just letting y'all know right now because you don't resurrect a diet on a Friday, okay? So anyway, so, but all that, all that to say is we know in so many areas of our life that moments of intensity aren't acceptable. You're not gonna have good hygiene if you only put deodorant on once a week, okay? You're not gonna have good teeth cleaning, whatever, teeth health if you only brush the seven days before you go to the dentist, right? Even for my relationship with my wife, I don't just hit her up on a Friday and be like, hey, I haven't talked to you since last Friday, but you want to go to a movie. You know, like that's not going to go well either. So there are so many areas of our life that we know that operating under intensity isn't the key, but consistency is. So you brush your teeth every morning and every night, and therefore you have good dental health, right? You eat healthy and you have good and I don't know that one to be a fact, but I'm just leaning on what I've heard. So, but these are areas of our life that we know when you're consistent, the outcome is great. But oftentimes, many people, so not all the time and not everybody, tries to operate their spiritual life on moments of intensity rather than consistency. So I got that pink slip at work. So now I'm going to go to every Saturday morning prayer. I'm going to be at every church service. I'm staying for both services. I'm going to go ham and worship, just giving it everything. Jesus, you're great. I'm sitting on the front row taking notes until all of a sudden you get through that season. And now you've gotten on the other side of it. And you're just like, oh, I'll just kind of, you know, whatever. Or, or, or something like your marriage is falling apart and you don't know what to do with it. And so you go to God and then he gets it all back together and then everything's going well. Or he helps you get through the season. But now that the season's over, now that the intensity's over, then you just go back to whatever you were doing. And moments of intensity don't carry your spiritual life. Consistency does. So when we are close to the Lord consistently, 
when he's our source consistently, then we have who we're leaning on when we need him. Listen, if you're always connected to God, you don't have to find him in troubled waters. So moments of consi- or, or seasons and times of consistency. I wake up every morning and I make myself and my wife breakfast. And we sit together and we eat and we drink coffee. And then she leaves and goes to work and I have an hour where I read my Bible and I pray and I worship in my kitchen at my table with my dogs on each side of me. Like we do that and I do it every morning. I don't wait till 21 days of prayer and then have to get it all in in 21 days. I'm doing it every day. But many of us wonder why between the moments of intensity, we're battling with, with negative thoughts and our thought attacks and even depression. We're battling because we're not connected to the source that is a constant overcoming to our depression. So we don't operate in moments of intensity. We operate under moments of consistency, right? John 15, 8 says this, or John, John 15 says this, 15, 6, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. In other words, you're always going to feel like you're in a drought if you're not connected to the source. So stay connected to the source. And rarely you'll feel like you're in a drought. Lastly, the fourth one, remember. Remember. So we need to reframe. Then we need to rephrase. Then we need to remain. And lastly, we need to remember that God's not letting go. God's not letting go. Matter of fact, Stephen Aldrog puts it like this. Your grip on life may falter. Put it up there, guys. Your grip on life may falter, but his grip on you won't. Whatever you're going through, God is still very close by and he's holding on to you. Don't let go. There's another quote by Charles Spurgeon. Put that one up there, guys. Charles Spurgeon says this, and he's kind of an old writer, so stay with me. It says, though our bodily gloom allows us no feeling of his tender touch. How many of you guys have been in a place where your world was so chaotic, you felt like you couldn't feel God? He holds on to us still. And this is the part that I want you to get. Our feelings of him do not save us. He does. In other words, the times that you don't feel that God is close, knowing that he is changes your approach. God's closeness is not determined by your ability to feel him close to you. You have to know that he always is. But that is what carries you. So Jesus battled sorrow. The way the Bible puts it is he was sorrowful. And some people believe that like, man, you know, I, I, when, I've mentioned, when I mentioned getting ready for this, that Jesus battled depression, you know, you could see all the Christians' antennas go up. Like, not Jesus didn't battle depression. I was like, well, actually, the Bible says he was tempted in every way, which means he was tempted on negative thoughts. But then Matthew 26 says that he was sorrowful even to death. To me, that's depression. Now, it was momentary. It was seasonal. It wasn't a constant for him, but it was still there. And what I wanted to give you today is I wanted to give you some things that could help carry you in this season. So the spiritual battle plan is that we would reframe what we're looking at. Then we would rephrase how we speak about it. Then we remain in the presence of God and stay connected to him. And then when we remember that as we stay connected, he never lets us go. But then I wanted to give you some tangible steps. What are some things you could do tomorrow if you wake up battling this? 
and I wanted to give you all the things that Jesus did. So these are on your notes, but these are the things that Jesus did. Number one, he chose some close friends to be with him. Listen, you may have to battle depression, but you don't have to battle it alone. And if you go through depression alone, that's your choice. And so I'm here to tell you to surround yourself with some friends, some people that you can hold close to you. Number two, he opened his soul to them. He opened his soul to them. He said, this is what I'm going through. This is where I'm at. And so you're gonna need to open your soul to somebody. This is why small groups are so important for us. Small groups are important because you gotta believe that people around you care about you and wanna help you through your season. Number three, he asked for their intercession and partnership in the battle. He said, I need you guys to pray with me. Pray with me, help me. And for some of you, you need to find people that are gonna encourage you. Listen, if you battle depression, but you're not in relationship with Christian believers, stop being shocked all the time. If you only come to church once a month, but you wanna know why you're going through hardships, stop trying to figure it out. And I'm, that, that's, not a, that's not a plug for church attendance. That's a plug for spiritual health. Like if you're not getting poured into, how can you possibly be wondering why you're going through dry seasons? And so we have to be connected to that and know that there are people here that wanna help you in the battle, but we gotta know who you are. Number four, I'll give you this. He poured out his heart to his father in prayer. And this is a huge one because sometimes, how, how many guys have done, heard when you've done all you can do, pray? It's like, how about before you do anything you can do, pray? Like you don't do all you can do and then hope God, to, no, no, no. You go to God first and then you do all you can do knowing he's gonna pick up the rest, right? Number five, he rested his soul in the sovereign wisdom of God. And I think this is where some of us have to get to because some of us have to have a complete surrender. We're saying, God, I'm giving you everything. God, I'm giving you this. I'm giving you my depression. I'm giving you my circumstances that have brought me here. I'm giving you everything that I'm going through. I'm giving everything to, I'm know, knowing that you are sovereign, knowing that you are in control, knowing that God has brought me into this, knowing that in your grace and your mercy, you have allowed me to experience what I'm going through, knowing all of those things, but that none of them have caught you off guard, knowing all of that, I'm giving all of this to you. Because if I'm going to get through it, it's gonna be because you brought me through it, not because I'm good enough to get through it on my own. So we have to recognize that God and his sovereign wisdom is not shocked by your depression. Listen to me, God is not shocked by your depression. Some of us think that God operates like a janitor going behind Satan with a broom and dustpan having to sweep up all these messes he didn't see coming. Now we laugh, but isn't that how our prayer life is? God, I know you didn't see this coming, but the enemy's really got a hold on me today. It's like, no, no, no. Not only did God see it coming, like Job, oftentimes I believe he recommended you for the battle. Number six, lastly, he fixed his eye on the glorious future grace that awaited him on the other side of his purpose. Now for Jesus, his purpose was the cross. But for you, what is your purpose? What is it that you need to get fixed on mentally 
with, with spiritual eyes and see, no, 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 God has a plan for me and that plan is this. And since there's a purpose on the other side of this battle, since there's a purpose on the other side of this pain, since there's a purpose on the other side of this struggle, I'm gonna stay fixed on my purpose. I'm gonna stay fixed on the, fixed on the idea that God called me and he destined me. And like he said in Ephesians 2, that he destined me before I was formed in the womb of my mother. He already had good plans for me. The craftsmanship, the workmanship was already laid out for me. He's already destined things for you, a purpose for you. And since your depression is not a shock to him, oftentimes what you battle with is the thing that as he makes you victorious in it, will help you lead someone else through it. And so get your eyes fixed on what awaits the other side of your purpose. Because God has a plan for you and he wants to do in your life what you can never do on your own, but that he's always destined for you to do. Your sin, your situation, your depression, your anxiety, your thought attacks, your lack of approval of the people around you, none of those things stop God from what he plans to do in your life. So let's surrender to him today and let's give him, for those of you that are going through depression, let's surrender that to him. For those of you that know someone going through it and it doesn't affect you, or maybe it hasn't yet, then let's help others surrender to God and lead them, not, not help them overcome their depression, but lead them to the one that's bigger than their depression. Come on, somebody. Y'all with me today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you today. God, we thank you that you're bigger than and greater than everything that we go through. And so God, we come to you today. Some that have experienced the dark cloud that hangs over their heads. And God, I'm no stranger to that cloud. Although God, I wouldn't say that I battled depression. Anyone that walks in their purpose is gonna battle the doubt and the darkness. And so God, those that are walking through seasons where depression is, seems to be bombarding their mind or those that are walking through dark seasons or those that know someone walking through dark seasons, God, I pray that you strength, you speak strength and courage. God, that you sustain, that you equip. God, that you breathe life, a fresh life into those, God, who have felt like they were holding still and standing still. God, we're 100% completely reliant on you to lead us and to guide us and to strengthen us and sustain us. God, we love you today and we need you, but we know that you'll never let us down. We know that you'll never fail us because God, you leave the 99 for the one. And so God, we come to you, we look to you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, with all your heads bowed and your eyes closed in this place today. If you're here and, and you're saying, yeah, pastor, I, maybe you're dealing with depression and these things hit home for you, or maybe you don't, but you know how these things could be impactful for you or someone else's life. But at the center of it all is where our hope clings to. You see, you can take all the steps, but if you're not connected to the source, the steps don't matter. And so here today, if you're in this place and maybe you know about God, but you don't know God, you know your life isn't right with God. Maybe you're in this place and you haven't yet given your heart to Jesus. Maybe he's not the ruler of your life. Maybe you're watching us right now and, and you're saying, I need to get right with God. I need to give him my everything. If that's you, and you say, I need to give Jesus my life. The beauty of the gospel is that your sins separated you from God, but Jesus paid for your sins at the cross. And today, all you have to do to have that, have Jesus in your life is put your faith in him. 
And if you want him to take control of your life, I'm not gonna come to you. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But you say, that's me, pastor. I want Jesus to take control of my life. I wanna give him today. I want to be saved. I want heaven to be my destination. If that's you, right where you sit or you're watching us online, would you just raise your hand right now and say, I want Jesus to take control, pastor. God bless you. God bless you. Hands are going up across the room right now. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Like I said, I'm not here to embarrass you. I wanna pray for you today. And I want you to leave here knowing that heaven is your destination and that Jesus is your savior today. Is there any more that says, that's me, Pastor. I wanna give Jesus my life today. I wanna follow him with everything that I have. Maybe you're watching us online today saying, that's me, Pastor. I wanna give my everything to Jesus. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray a prayer together. This prayer doesn't make you saved. Your faith in Jesus is what makes you saved. But we wanna put words to those actions and confess with our mouth that Jesus is now our Lord and Savior. And so we're gonna pray a prayer together and you're gonna repeat after me and the whole church is gonna pray with you. So you're not praying it by yourself. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure. Make me whole. I believe you lived a sinless life. You died on the cross and that you paid for me and you resurrected. And through your life, through your death and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. TC, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that past the very first time. We celebrate with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome.